I'm here today with Damon Feldman. He's the Solutions Director at MarkLogic. And today we'll be talking about multi-model databases. Hi, Damon. Thanks for coming on. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. If you want to learn more about multi-model databases, by the way, be sure to check out Damon's webcast. It's coming up on December 1st, and you can find a link to it in the show notes that accompany this episode. So let's begin with, uh, with the big question. What is a multi-model database? Well, a multi-model database at its basic is really what it sounds like. It's a, it's a database that stores multiple models um, in terms of how it represents data. The, the, the classic model is the entity relationship model, the mm -hmm. ER model. But a lot of databases now, especially NoSQL databases, store something else. They store uh, documents, uh, XML or JSON document. They store, I suppose you can think of something that stores text, a, a text search engine as a sort of database. So they store text. Mm -hmm. They store graphs and triples and RDF, and, and some have a better or worse ability to deal with some binary content, too. So is this kind of the next uh, step in the progression from ordinary relational databases into NoSQL and now, uh, now multi-model? I, I think it is. The, the future is going to tell, but I am seeing more and more databases start to pick up at least two models. Um, sometimes there's a model that... Uh, doesn't doesn't do everything that you need it to do, and there's a known gap, so people realize that, and they add one more model. A common way to do that is to take a document database like uh, Mongo or the company I work for, MarkLogic, or mm -hmm. or something similar, and add relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, and we see some databases doing that because the documents bundle things into a little bundle, but then you want to you want to hook them together into a network of related entities. So that's two models right there. That's mm -hmm. pretty common. How does a multi-model database differ from just, you know, taking a couple of relational databases and, and uh, putting some glue between them? Oh, that's a great question. If you take two relational databases and you glue them together in some way, you've got a bigger set of data. You have two integrated relational databases. Fundamental modeling approach is still relational. So mm -hmm. the way you're thinking about your data is still, how do I take my business problem, whether that's, uh, you know, selling office furniture or supplying healthcare to people, how do I take that and turn it into a bunch of rows and columns with foreign keys linking them together? Uh, uh, somewhat famously, there's, a, there's a, an impedance mismatch between that kind of a model, a relational model, which is mm -hmm. fundamentally tabular, and an object-oriented model, right, which is not a database model, it's a programming model, which is fundamentally a network. Mm -hmm. That's the object relational mapping problem. So, so that's the kind of thing that illustrates the difference between the models. As you move to other domains, um, such as uh, a lot of things are hierarchical, you are perhaps more naturally going to model it as a document model. Hmm. If you have something that's fundamentally a graph structure, you might want to use a graph model in a graph database. So for, for listeners who uh, maybe haven't taken a look at multi-model databases, could you give sort of an example of something that uh, you know, might be an awkward fit in a more conventional relational database uh, but that's much more natural in a multi-model database? That's a great question. Well, I'll just take the thing that I'm working on right now. I'm working with, uh, with, with one, of the, one of the states here in the U.S., and we're modeling their data for people and families and how those people are receiving uh, services like food stamp assistance, food supplement assistance, and home heating assistance and child welfare and things like that. So the, the things that we have there, we have people applying for some kind of a program. Mm -hmm. That application is is a nice little unit that people fill out and fill out at least in the old days on a piece of paper. It's very naturally a document, right? So what we find is it's very simple to take that 
kind of structure uh, and store it as a document in the database. Um, then we look at people and their family relationships and their social relationships. So we have the classic relationships, father, mother, uh, child, and then we infer relationships like cousins and so on. And we also have relationships such as uh, uh, roommates and step parents. Those networks of people who are all bound together um, by, by a bunch of nodes and edges in a, in, a, in a mathematical graph. So that's more like graph data. So those are two places where if you try to do it as a relational data set, a couple things happen. One is that you have a lot of internal relationships that have no meaning in the business domain. A relationship between the person table and the address table is not really a business relationship or a, or a human relationship among mm. people. That's just cruft in the relational database. It's an artifact of the way you've organized your data. Exactly. Exactly. And what it does is it obscures and hides the real relationships, such as between a person and a person, between a person and a support case. Those things are all obscured by all those extra relationships that are just artifacts. So we see a very natural model there. We also see some advantages, such as the ability to preserve things as they went into the system. When somebody applies for assistance, we really want to preserve that application the way it is as it goes into the system. And if they change their address later, we don't want that earlier application to show the new address. We want that mm -hmm. application to show the address they had at that time. Certain zip codes and, and, and counties have special rules. We want to know where they were when they applied. Interesting. So could you walk through the different uh, models that a multi-model database uh, might typically support? Sure. Um, the models that are, that are most common are document models. And, and those sort of divide primarily into JSON and XML. Um, RDF or triple models, that's in the semantic world. Um, graph models. And I, I think of text as being another model because it's, it's usually a very different way of indexing and managing data. And people have a tendency to put that in a separate system. So I'd say also uh, text models. So what are the basic kinds of models that you would find in a multi-model database? It's a great question. So there's a few types of, of models that we store in databases that are pretty common. And these, I think, are the main types. One is, of course, the entity relationship model that we're all familiar with in a SQL-oriented database. But the new ones, the, the NoSQL and, and some of these larger internet-scale databases use document models. That's usually XML or JSON documents, and that's storing things as a as a as a unit, as a business entity. Um, text models. I, I would say that text is one of the models that we see in these new databases a lot, because if you don't have a good ability to do it in your database, you've got to do it with another product and do a lot of integration. Mm -hmm. Some kind of a graph or triple model, triples being RDF or semantic data. And those are good when you have a lot of things that are linked together or you have a lot of little um, fact triples describing your data. And then the last one, which is in some sense, uh, a simple variant of a document database is a database called a key value store. And there's mm -hmm. where you're just putting something in as a black box. You don't really care what it is, and you just get it out by its key. It's more of a cache. Sure. So this is a lot of different models that you could incorporate in a database. Uh, does a typical installation need to sort of like draw from each of these models in order to, you know, have value above a conventional database? Or do you see a lot of uh, installations that just use maybe two of these models? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think, I think usually you end up with about three of them. Often you can get by with two. And 
often our databases only support one and we have to do various workarounds or integrate a second database. A classic situation where we integrate a second database is we start with a relational model and then we need some text searching. That, that tends to come up in version two or three of a product where it matures, it does the basics, but now you need to do a little text search. So you maybe add on uh, Solar or Lucene as a separate product. Mm -hmm. uh, another place that we see in my world, which is the MarkLogic does a lot in the document database world, we, we do both XML and JSON documents. A few years ago, we saw that we were very good at packaging data up into one document to represent a business entity, right? That person or that support case or that application. Um, but then the relationships among them were not very natural with documents because mathematically a document captures uh, a tree structure, but mm -hmm. the relationship among people is a graph structure and you need a little bit more flexibility there. So I've seen relational plus text pretty often, and I've seen document plus triples quite often. And as you get further and further along, you, you start to see some that need maybe three documents um, plus relationships plus text. And then maybe you start to accumulate some binaries as well as you produce report PDFs or you ingest data that you want to keep traceability to that comes in some binary form. So it seems like a multi-model database uh, is a great way to approach, you know, data integration or, or you know, working across uh, silos. Uh, very much, very much. If you're not sure what you're going to take in, you particularly want to be prepared for many models. Uh, this is something that we see in a simple form in, in something that's not a database, but the Hadoop world, right? We have HDFS, which is a file system, and we can put anything into it. And that gives Hadoop a great power to do a data lake. And some of these multi-model databases can also uh, uh, do a data lake or a data hub very efficiently because you can put things in right away without having to stand up a data modeling team and have a whole bunch of meetings and think about what the scheme is going to be and what your ETL jobs are going to look like. You can just take the thing, if it's an XML document representing health information in HL7, HL7 v3 is XML, just put it right into the XML document database. If you have a bunch of semantic triples that represent some owl facts about your, your, um, your treatment plans and your uh, healthcare system or your people, you can take those triples, put them right in to a triple store type of database. If you have a lot of text, whether that's a Word document or a PDF or a web page, you can put it directly in. So that gives you that load as is immediate integration capability. And then you can work on, on harmonizing and cleaning up and serving out the data uh, with a little more agility. So what are the implications uh, for, you know, perhaps a, a database architect or a, a data scientist who's thinking about how to, you know, integrate a lot of different data from different sources, how to plan out, uh, you know, an enterprise system? What are the expectations for multi-model databases? Um, what sort of employee training is, might be involved in moving to this kind of approach? Uh, or, you know, what kind of skills your team might need to have? Are they different from with a more conventional database? First, let me address the difference that you're drawing there between if somebody's doing some data integration or, or one system, because that's really going to make a big difference in how people approach it. If it is something where you're pulling data together into a data lake or a data hub, then you really want to go, in my opinion, very firmly towards the multi-model uh, world because you're going to be having so many different kinds of data. And then you do need a skill set that's about, uh, about batch loading and modeling and harmonizing data and, and sort of big data concerns. If you have a team that's starting to build a particular application, you know, the next Facebook or, or something to just manage a building or something like that, 
if you're building a particular system, it's more about architecture and the specific requirements uh, that your system's going to have. And that also tells you which models you're likely to need. Now, as people get into that, though, the skills that they need are the skills related to that model. So if you have a triple store, you probably want people who know OWL, which is a very common language to access and model data that's represented by triples. If you have a document database using JSON, you want people who understand JSON and JavaScript and how to build that kind of a message model or hierarchical model, just as when you have a bunch of MySQL and Oracle instances, you want people who are really good at third normal form and relational model. Where do you see all of this going in the next uh, you know, year or three years or, or five years, the general direction of uh, the multi-model industry? My, my intuition, my guess, and it's just a guess, is that a lot of the emerging NoSQL vendors that are still standing after some of the, the weaker products have, have sort of shut down and gone into stasis are going to see this need for multi-model um, and new companies are going to come up that see that there's some new NoSQL product that has a need for multi-model and they're going to bundle together multiple different products into a sort of Frankenbeast system, into a fairly complicated thing. And they're going to provide at least some of the value uh, that way. The, the issue that I've seen with individual projects trying to bundle together many different databases into one system, the so-called polyglot persistence model, is that the, the enterprise components of all these systems don't work together well. Hmm. So even though you might be able to query some text and some documents together, when you try to do your backups uh, all at exactly the same time and restore at exactly the same time, each system backs up at a you know five-second difference from one another, and you have to figure out what got out of sync. Your uh, replication strategies are going to be different. Your monitoring might be through two different monitoring mechanisms. So as you try to get your DevOps and your monitoring and your enterprise hardening and your HADR in place, it becomes hard. And then when you try to do performance tuning, that also becomes very difficult. So I think that's phase one are these amalgamations of different tools to make them look like they're one tool. Beyond that, maybe two, three, four years out, I, I think that people are going to start to actually build more models right into the core. We're seeing that already. Uh, MarkLogic does that. I believe OrientDB is doing that. Uh, so you're seeing some of the products actually incorporate many models right in the core. I've been speaking with Damon Feldman, Solutions Director at MarkLogic. He has a webcast coming up on O'Reilly.com on December 1st. You'll find a link to that webcast in the show notes that accompany this episode. Also, if you just Google Damon Feldman, you know, O'Reilly webcast, I'm sure you'll find it there. Damon, it's been a pleasure speaking. If the listeners would like to find you online, where should they look? They can look on my blog. Uh, just Google Damon Feldman Mark Logic, and you'll see my blog. And I'm also on Twitter at Damon.Feldman. Excellent. Thanks so much, Damon. Thank you, John.